Well, they blew up the chicken man in Philly last night. Isn't that the song? Is that the song? Isn't that, that the song? How it goes? No, I, that's not the song. That's the that's it's Atlantic City off of Nebraska. The the actual song that uh, the Highway Patrolman that 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 this movie's based off of goes. Um, me and Frankie laughing and drinking. Nothing feels better than blood on blood. Get it? Oh, Get it from the scene in the movie where he cuts his hand uh, and shows him his blood. Right? I should have listened to that song. Oh my god, I should have listened to that song. Damn and then and then at the, and then and then the last part of the chorus he goes man turns his back on his family well oh. he just ain't no good <laughs> right i read right? The, i read this janet maslin review of the movie that had some quotes from the song and it was she said like hard to improve on that brevity but sean penn tries <laughs> <laughs> tries tries key operative word there is is is, is tries Frank was due back from Vietnam. We hadn't seen each other since I'd lost the farm in 65. The closeness I felt with my brother was with that rough and tumble kid I knew before high school. He looked like a hero. Hey, 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 don't you do that. Don't you do that. You did it. I gotta try and get close to him again. I gotta try something. Frankie and Joe have one more chance to make everything right. I miss this, Frankie. I missed having a laugh with you. Me too. One last chance to be brothers. I'm an Indian runner. Bet you can't find me. I'll get you. There's only two kind of men in this hell. Heroes and outlaws. Which one are you? Why does it scare you so much? Why does it scare you? Uh, all right, way. welcome to 30 Years Later. Uh, I'm uh, one of the hosts, Ricky Camilleri, and the other host, uh, who's always here uh, with me, is Chris Chafin. Chris, say hi. Yeah, hi. Um, but don't take me for granted. Don't you? The way you said I'm always here, I didn't really appreciate that. <laughs> and uh, joining me, as always, never not here. Chris Chaffin. I feel like it's getting worse. I don't know. <laughs> it's getting worse. And uh, we're extremely lucky to have today uh, Peter Rinaldi, the host uh, and creator of the podcast on Film for Filmmaker Magazine, um, Back to One, that is specifically a no bullshit podcast with actors talking about the craft of acting. And I think to be not just because he recently interviewed Sean Penn about his newest movie, Flag Day, but because I don't think there is a more actorly movie. Huh. than the Indian yes. runner to talk about with someone who does a podcast about uh, acting. Yes. So Peter, thanks so much for being here and joining us on this movie. No, I'm the lucky one. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, hoping I wouldn't have to be the one to say it. So thank you very much. <laughs> and I, I don't think we've said what the name of the movie is other than that Sean Penn uh, it has to do with it. He's the writer and director of it. It is called The Indian Runner, uh, otherwise known as The Two Sides of Sean Penn. And uh, it came out in uh, 1991 this week. It starred Viggo Mortensen, David Morse, uh, Patricia Arquette, Valeria, Valeria Golina, 
I believe is how you say it, Valeria mm-hmm. Golina, I think. Yeah. Um, Familiar to our listeners from Hot Shots that we recently did. Yes. Uh, oh, my and, God, and yes. Like, like any movie she was ever in in the United States, just wildly out of place. Seems <laughs> yes. Like, what are you doing <laughs> it completely here? completely makes Great no man. sense that she is in this milieu <laughs> at all, not for one second. Yeah. Uh, and then also starring in small, but I would I would say unforgettable roles, uh, Charles Bronson and um, yes. Dennis Hopper. Uh, this yes. is a movie that... Um, Sandy Dennis, the last film of the oh, appearance of Sandy yes. Dennis. And a, a very short appearance from Benicio Del Toro. That's right. That's right. Amazing. Wait, where does Benicio show up? He's picking up the woman that Valeria Galino is tutoring in English. He's like her boyfriend or something, and he only is speaking in Spanish, but he like runs up to Valeria and says something to her in Spanish and like kisses her. And he's so like alive and he's vibrant alive. for yes. this scene that you don't necessarily notice that you don't understand anything he's saying, technically, you know. But you do get it. Like you get what he's doing, you know. It's um, amazing. It's amazing. So the movie was released September 20th, 1991. The budget was seven million. It made $191,125 at the box office, Um, which is, to be be honest, to me, that's kind of like part of what's great about the movie. Like like in watching the movie, there's no way it could make more than that. And that's great. That's what's sort of one of the things that's sort of beautiful about it. Yeah, Um, but wait, wait, you know what's weird about that? Because I I was in Scranton, Pennsylvania at this time, you know, a a 17-year-old, and I really wanted to see this movie. Maybe it was because of um, Siskel and Ebert or somebody saying something about it. So, I mean, if it's hitting me in Scranton, like wishing it was around, I'm I'm kind of, it kind of weirds me out that it only made that amount of money because why would it hit me there? But I think there was, um, I think there was like a cult following of this of this movie um, mm. in 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 cinema circles. We should also add that one of the executive producers of the Indian Runner, which was something that was wide widely talked about during the 2016 campaign for Donald Trump, <laughs> uh, was his political strategist and campaign manager. Steve Bannon. Steve he Bannon. was oh. he he was one of the financiers uh, of the movie. Oh god! Um, right, but this was during the period where he was just like some regular Hollywood asshole. Like he wasn't Steve right. Bannon necessarily at this point. Right, he hadn't become a conservative at, at some point, which is what most um, you know fail fail failure Hollywood assholes become. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, um, I wanted to talk about the like disparity in the like awareness in the box office, Peter. Because my question would be like, did you have the ability to go see it? Like, was it actually playing no. in your town? No, I know it wasn't. And, and um, you know, just as, as most things that I wanted to see, like, like right around this time. So it's, it's interesting. Your show is very interesting because 30 years ago is right when I really started to become like a serious film lover. Not really serious, but like, in other words, like I moved from like Back to the Future to thinking like uh, Dances with Wolves was the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> Right. And right. I'm like, so it's oh, not yeah. really not really moving into <laughs> into cinephile territory yet. But but right. a, a little is bit pretty good. Dance is pretty good. <laughs> more of a but refined, you're... you know, slightly more refined. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm moving yeah. out of like childish stuff in, in into and so wanting to then I, I had this thing of wanting to see more serious stuff that was being talked about like on Cisco and Ebert, like those were my guys that I can see there. And, and I thought that they were the, the, you know, serious, um, 
uh, film folks that were giving me like the, the, the art house stuff, but no, it wasn't around. It wasn't around. Like, See. you know, it, it might've come around on, on, uh, uh, films like this probably came around, I think at that time in this very small little yearly festival that had stuff that, that played in other, other, other towns throughout the year, they would gather together and played over a couple of weeks there in this weird, See, weird this, theater. This is That's what I was going to say is that like, I think the thing is this movie got like a lot of press because Sean Penn was like a huge tabloid star yeah, at the that's time. That's probably right. This is just after his marriage is broken up with Madonna. Like we earlier this year, we did truth or dare, right? Where it's like, there's a whole thing about Sean Penn. And like, that was like this huge thing. You know, he's famous for like punching out cameramen and, you know, Madonna yeah. also. And so, I mean, even in researching this, I found not a review, but like some kind of long interview that Roger Ebert did with him around this movie. Um, I think he had seen him at a film festival or something and he had done the gotten obviously like spent a bunch of time talking to him. Um, uh, so I think he so was really showing up because it was like his writer director debut, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Was there anything good in the interview with Sean Penn with the, the Roger Ebert interview? Generally it was pretty good. I mean, Roger Ebert liked the movie. I mean, I think all the critics basically liked this movie. Um, the Janet Maslin thing was a little meaner than Roger Ebert was being. But basically, I mean, people didn't expect a lot, I think, and were really impressed that, I mean, the movie is dedicated to, like, Cassavetes, you know, and how Cassavetes, Hal Ashby. Ashby, and who's who was the Frank, third that Frank it's Bru Frank Bruno. Bianco? Uh, Bianco? No, sorry. No, you're right. Sorry. Frank Bianco. Who is, and who is Frank Bianco? I looked him up. Because I was like, who is this person? Why is he sandwiched between Hal Ashby and, and <laughs> yeah. Cassavetes? That was weird, right? He, yeah. it, he was a makeup artist on tons of stuff including tons of sean penn movies but like really? tons of great stuff so it i mean i really i wrote that down because i thought that that was so interesting that he put that at the end here and put that guy in between because it and it really like speaks to to <laughs> this guy i think who who is who who i think places some an artist like that in the same in the same line with those other two great artists that we would consider great artists, you know, I'm, I mean, I think he, I think that was that's interesting that he did that. I think it's not just that he did that out of some kind of charity to that to that guy that he probably knew and died. I think he 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 thinks of it as part of the art, you know. I, I really do. No, that's totally true, and it is so interesting, and it is like, yeah, at this point in 2021, you can say like that's such a Sean Penn thing to do, um, and I think what <laughs> right, the, right. the the thing around this movie is like, and maybe I'm like reading too much into it, but I mean, it's his first movie he wrote and directed. It's the, the kind of the birth of this version of him that we still have, which is this like super self-serious, very actorly, like just seeming very like kind of dignified in a weird way. Um, and of course that's also like the theme of the movie is these two brothers. And one of them is wild. And the other one is like straight laced. And of course all the, PR materials for this movie and a lot of the articles are about like, is this really about the two sides of Johnny or of, of uh, Sean Penn? Yeah. And I mean, he denied it, so but it, it kind of seems like it was. You know? I hate to jump to this now, but it's weird how, how um, his latest movie feels so much like this movie. I mean, I believe that if you laid out both movies together, almost like, um, uh, Dark Side of the Moon and um, and um, uh, God, uh, God, what the Wizard man? of Oz, Wizard of Oz, <laughs> Wizard of Oz style. Um, I'm not saying I I think that there would be uh, 
similar uh, scenes at, at, the, at the exact spots on both of these. And, and the reason why I'm bringing this up now is just because I feel like he was exploring something with his daughter there, like in his real, in real life, like he was pulling from real life stuff and, and sharing something of himself there that was a little bit scary and a little bit like, wow, uh, weird and, and having his daughter play opposite him and whatever he was exhuming there, he, I think he was exhuming a similar thing here about himself, um, with this two side thing. I think, I think that's really interesting. Well, everything that I have not seen Flag Day, so like the only thing that I can say is from what I read is that uh, there are these incredible scenes with actor with actors really going for broke and putting it all on the line and Sean Penn doing a phenomenal job with them, but intercut with these extremely heavy handed metaphors. And I read that and I was like, yeah. that sounds like the Indian runner. Yeah, exactly. And I loved And when I was like 19, I loved the Indian runner. So, I mean, <laughs> re- upon rewatching it at 37, that heavy-handed metaphor stuff and some of the macho acting does not have the same, uh, does not land as well for me as I think right. it did for me when I was like a 19-year-old boy in, in college. Um, at which point, when I saw this movie, I was like, why isn't everybody talking about this movie all the time? It's a masterpiece. It's incredible. <laughs> and, you know, I, I watch it now and I'm kind of like this, like, yeah, this brother sucks. You should cut him loose. He's really he like a fucking away. lunatic. Like, yeah. <laughs> He's like a real asshole. <laughs> like right from the beginning, at, like watching it at 37, like as soon as he picks him up and like Viggo Mortensen climbs the hill and is like, I'm king of the hill and like fucking whistles scene. or whatever. I was like, this guy yeah. sucks. Like yeah. how annoying. <laughs> He's I, doing I, I mean, so we should go through just very loosely the plot in a second. But can I say when they introduce Viggo Mortensen's character, Frank, it's via this letter that the dad Charles Bronson has gotten which isn't it's telling him he's gone to jail and it isn't from or no it's not sorry this is later on in the movie but they say um so it's from the his girlfriend has written this letter to his dad all right, right and it says right, right. he hit me so my daddy said he had to go to jail but it's all right because I'm here waiting for him and then Charles Bronson <laughs> like laughs and I was like I love that this movie by Sean Penn kind of cutely brings up hitting a woman and it's like but it's cool right nobody really cares and everybody just like they smiles bo- and laughs about it they both laugh both David Morse and Charles Bronson are like he always was a wild one it's like okay <laughs> it's like, he went to jail for beating up his girlfriend are you guys not like worried about this at all um, I mean there one could argue that like the movie does play take place in like the late sixties in this sort of like extremely blue collar, uh, macho, like town, like Midwestern town, like the sensibilities are a lot different, but at the same time, given a lot of the tabloid fodder surrounding (laughs) the writer director, it's a strange thing to just throw in the movie. And it completely without comment. And it just doesn't, doesn't come up again, you know? Yes. Uh, Chris, go. So you said you were going to go, you wanted to go through the plot. I leave that to you. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, just very loosely. I mean, like you're saying, Ricky, it's based on a Bruce Springsteen song. I mean, the idea is there's two brothers and one of them's a cop and one of them's an outlaw and they, you know, first they meet when uh, the outlaw who's played by Viggo Mortensen. His name is Frank. And what is the name of David Morse's character? Joe. Joe, of course, Frank and Joe. Um, so Joe is the lawman. He's married 
to hot shots Valerie Galino and this completely in- insane unexplained thing. They 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 make up this thing where she's like supposed to be Mexican, I guess, and is teaching people English, um, which is kind of funny. But um, they first Frank gets out of the army and then they meet and and Frank just kind of runs away instead of going to his come coming home party where his parents played by uh, Charles Bronson without a mustache, which was interesting. And uh, Sandy Dennis in her last role, um, they she's he's he's supposed to come meet them and he doesn't show up. And then eventually they both die before he sees them again. And I, I also read an interesting thing about this movie. So this is Sandy Dennis's. She's famous for being in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. It's her last screen appearance. She died six months later from ovarian cancer. And basically everybody knew she had cancer. And um, she had they had this scene that they spent three days doing where they all visit her in the hospital and she's dying of cancer and gives this kind of like amazing performance of oh, wow. dying of cancer for them. And they all know in their heads that she's really dying and it's this incredibly emotional thing. But then Sean Penn thought like it would make Frank look like more of a shithead if he didn't see his mom again and he, he was in the scene. So he just cut it out. <laughs> wow. Which maybe wow. he was right, but it is I would Fair love enough. to see that scene, you know, like, right. I mean, all what what matters in is the movie. What matters is the movie. Yeah, exactly right. right. And if it makes the movie better, then, and it does make you so mad because Frank's mom dies of cancer, and he like doesn't show up or go to the funeral, and then eventually Charles Bronson shoots himself in the head, which is like with like a shotgun, which is terrible. But it been basically it just becomes about the two of them. And is Frank gonna settle down? Is he not gonna settle down? Is how is he gonna reconcile with Joe, or is he gonna like? become the kind of wild person that he's been his whole life and refused to be, you know, constrained. Did you, did you bring up the, the central metaphor for the movie that's introduced at the top and then. No, I did not. I did not. No, please handle that for me. Oh, come on, man. Okay. So there is, uh, there is, the movie is called the Indian runner and it opens with the story of what the Indian runner is, which is a, uh, uh, it's, you know, a, a native American kills a, deer and has to breathe breathe into its mouth or take its last breath and find the quiet peace and death something along those lines and uh that is the central metaphor for the movie apparently and throughout the movie uh they were i think they even refer to vigo mortensen as the indian runner he refers to himself as that and then when things are turning to shit with the family they keep cutting back to it <laughs> old native american man running at the <laughs> yeah. camera painted in white painted in white running at the camera just like on a black soundstage with like a big spotlight behind him and he's like running at the camera (laughs) yeah and you know fine i I say go for it you know and you know more movies should take risks your first movie you're famous like sure why not most movies should take risks like that but also like filmmakers should recognize in the editing room that sometimes when they (laughs) take those risks they can cut them out because right like he cut out sandy dennis's real life dying scene but he was like but the indian running we gotta cut to that a minimum of 10 times yeah and like it just does not need to be in this like you well, could just, have done a yeah just think though ricky if if he if he cut that whole really hilarious running one and just had him in the end where it is it would be kind of great like if if that was the only like because it's almost like uh, something supernatural is going on in the end a little bit anyway, uh, if, and if that if thing happened in the, the end, that would be at amazing. the end of the movie when David Morse watches uh, 
um, Vigo Mortensen drive away down the highway. Yeah. Instead of like the 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 fantasy of like Vigo coming back and getting out of the car as the child that David Morse remember. It's like yeah. instead it's like the car drives down the highway and then all of a sudden you hear like the patter of footsteps running and David Morse turns around and a Native American man painted white just runs by him. That'd be awesome. And he just watches him. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be terrible. It wouldn't be terrible. And he's like, hey, it's the Indian runner. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we used to call my brother, who also just ran away. Life sure is funny sometimes. The end. Um, But, you know, um, within within this this summary, there are these, I think, incredible scenes, these raw scenes between these actors that I don't find them to be reminiscent of Cassavetes in any way, but I do find them to be reminiscent of Hal Ashby and not and of someone who the movie isn't dedicated to, but of someone who's in the movie, and that's Dennis Hopper no, and his movie like Out of the Blue, which mm. I think this movie is mostly owes the greatest debt to. It feels very, very much in sync and um and in in debt to the vision behind behind that bleak masterpiece. Um but I, there's there's an, enough to like about this movie that you can kind of get through it because you rarely see anything like this anymore. Yeah. But I can totally understand anybody watching this movie and being like, this is pretentious shit. And I'd be like, you're not wrong. But is it really pretentious I just to like most it. of the time? Is it? I mean, yes. I, <laughs> I mean, yes. there's there are problems, including the narration, which was the biggest problem for me. But I'm I yeah, don't the know narration's bad. Pre- pretentious. I felt like it was almost the opposite of pretentious. It was almost it was almost like a like a, ch- a childlike, almost in his in his uh, uh, way with it. It's almost like oh my god, this guy feel it feels like a child in a way is making this movie and. And, and and wide-eyed and trusts like all the the metaphors and all this all this uh, heavy-handed kind of stuff in this in this childlike way instead of this this pretentious intellectual way or something like that. I don't know. I mean, well, I, I guess I, I see I, what you I'm mean. Like you, like but... it's like like it's like a teenager's poetry. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right. Yes. I mean, Vigo Mortensen's Vigo's monologue at the end of the movie, right before David Moore says, "You know, I'm not afraid," or like are why are, are you afraid? And Vigo says, why aren't you afraid? Before that, he has this whole monologue that is like, okay, okay, the kid read a little too much Bukowski today. Oh you God. know, he's Wait, like, Ricky, right. I you have know, to tell said, you, this is from this interview with uh, with Sean Penn that Roger Ebert did. Apparently, this was like pivotal in Sean Penn's mind to the movie. So he built a bar on a, in a gym and made Viggo Mortensen and uh, David Morris like practice at a whole bunch. And then they would like shoot baskets in between rehearsals to like, you know, work off the energy. And then they would go back and rehearse the scene again. <laughs> wow. My dear boy, it's called acting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, talking a bit about, about the movie as an actor's movie, right? Like, I mean, and it does seem like Sean Penn has put a lot of thought into the performances and trying to get good performances. Like Vigo is great. I mean, he's uh, his character is an absolute, like completely illogical shithead who just does like the worst thing in every situation and seems to be really um, like irrationally angry at people. Um, he's yeah. so good in the role though. He's so good. I, I thought yes. he's bringing so much to it. And, and he's yeah, charming he's amazing, and he's also, he's, 
charming guest. Yeah, he's you ch- want him. You want to like him. That's what's weird. That's what's almost embarrassing, right? right? You want him to change you because you want to like him. I mean, that that's the key thing. If he didn't have that, you'd be like, it'd, be, it'd make no sense. Like Ricky was saying before, like, why are you trying to <laughs> trying to help, help this guy? <laughs> right. And it, but it's like, and so any little thing that he does that seems like vaguely responsible, you're like, oh, well, Frankie turned himself around. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yes. <laughs> These fuckers, they don't give you enough time to figure out the problem. It's a math class. Whole deal here is a math class. Just like every math class, there's a clown in the front row, and everybody hates this fucking clown because he's raising his hand, he's answering all the questions. What do we do? Move on. Just fucking move on, ready or not. He's deciding we gotta move on. He's deciding we gotta move on. He knows his math. Me, I hadn't even figured out about Santa Claus yet. Dragons. Gasoline was my favorite smell. It's like you're fun. Who grew better crops? You or the math man bought it out from under you. You, right? And what's a farm for? It's for crops. That's the world, Joe. And it's a beauty. I hadn't even figured out about Santa Claus yet. Dragons. Gasoline was my favorite smell. It's like your farm. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? Dragons? I hadn't even figured out about Santa Claus yet. Dragons. Dragons. <laughs> this is Does literally mean- the line. Wait, can I just wait? Wait, wait, wait. Let me just say this back one more time. This is these are four lines from the movie that are said consecutively, back to back, in one monologue. <laughs> he knows his math. I hadn't even figured out figured out about Santa Claus yet. Dragons. Gasoline was my favorite smell. <laughs> I could do that all day. Oh, I mean, just so imagine, good. imagine so Viggo Mortensen like coming up to him, Sean Penn, and being like, "So, um, this monologue, <laughs> Santa Claus, dragons, what's going on here?" And Sean Penn's it's like kid stuff. It's like you're just remembering kid stuff. Okay, but why, like, in this abstract way? Why am I it's like San- it at this in this moment? I mean, you know what it is. It's Sean. It's Sean Penn being like, it's like Sam Shepard, and him being like, okay, I've done. I, you know, I did true. I did true West when I was uh, back at Juilliard. Don't worry, I got it. <laughs> but the real que- Chris. Qu- qu- uh, question, Ricky, is what did the what did the young Ricky think of this when he saw it? Yes, yes please. You I love that monologue. This I your loved. Shit. I loved that shit when I was like 19 or 20 and I wasn't even a Sam Shepard fan. What happened was when I was in film school or like liberal arts school, but like, you know, pursuing film, I, I was a big, I loved Ray Carney, um, a, a film writer who's written books about John Cassavetes and Mike Lee. And mm-hmm. um, he teaches at Boston university and he is extremely specific in his tastes and very, I don't want to say snobby. He writes beautifully about film, but if you're, you know, 19, 20 years old, and you're looking for a way to really define yourself and refine your tastes. He was kind of like a way to do uh, a way to, to, to feel like to mm-hmm. do it and to feel like you were kind of above all the other bullshit, you know? Um, and yeah. He, but the Indian every, runner, Ricky, but the Indian runner, 
And every now and then he would sing the praises of like one movie by somebody, you know, he always had Cassavetes and Mike Lee and like other artists who, 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 who he championed their, the entirety of their careers, but he would champion suddenly a movie like the Indian runner or a movie like vampires kiss with Nicolas Cage, or mm. uh, I'm trying to think of some others, but he, he was very performance based as a, as a film writer, as a cinephile cinema writer, uh, always more concerned about the actors. And his main thing was that like the camera and the aesthetic of the film should really be built around the performance and what the characters are going through because you're trying to channel an inner world. Um, and that's what cinema is supposed to do. Whether he's right or wrong, I, I, I would say wrong now at this age, but I don't particularly care to you know, talk theory anymore. But that's what sent me down the, the rabbit hole to see this movie. And of course, to me, at the time when I was... 19, 20 years old, this just felt like a movie that was mine that nobody else had really seen or talked about that I could then show to people mm-hmm. uh, and talk about and defend. And then it also felt really, really raw. And I think as a 20 year old who was probably drinking and partying a lot and felt very and was pissed off because I was young and male. The Vigo Mortensen character, the Vigo Mortensen character, was far more relatable to me at that time, and I got, I probably mm. got this monologue, or at least got the part where he screamed, "Why aren't you scared?" Um, yeah. And now, as an older, like the person that Vigo Mortensen is probably the age that he's supposed to be in the movie, that or no, he's probably still supposed to be like twenty six or something like that, right? When he gets home from Vietnam, um, but it's like a thirty seven year old man. I'm watching it, and I'm like, just let him go, just <laughs> go back to your wife and kid. It's good. They're great. It's a good yeah. life. Just, just let the guy go. Fuck him. Too bad about your brother. Like that sucks, but you know, it's not your problem. <laughs> right. Don't let him take down everybody else. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, but like Peter, I would love to hear from you, like as somebody who has an acting podcast, I mean, I, I do think it's a very like actorly movie. Yeah. Like what, what are your kind of thoughts on the way that Sean Penn is like getting performances out of people or the way he's like kind of structuring the scenes, you know? Well, yeah, like one of the things he said in, in the interview I did with him, which which made me want to go back and see his early stuff. I, ha- I hadn't seen this movie and a couple of the other ones I haven't seen. I think I only, I've only seen um, Into the Wild, I think, which is, which is embarrassing. It makes me want to go very, back. And... Very different movie from, from this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, even different than, than Flag Day. I mean, it might, it might be his best movie. I don't know. Uh, um, but the um the thing he said which made me want to go back is that he um doesn't he ha- he's prepared when he goes in to to shoot something but he doesn't um have it locked down in terms of design he wants to see what the actors bring and then he's able to shift based on what they're bringing this to me is like is the secret that a lot of people don't do when they make movies they 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 i think there's this theory that you have to have a strong vision you have to stick to it and that might be true but people aren't adaptable to what the act like the energy of the actor on set that day and what's going on environmentally right then and how a director the job is to kind of shift some things if you have to based on what they're giving and that i think that makes everything richer and I want, you know, I really want to know if he was doing this all along, if he started thinking about this before he even started directing, 
but it feels like with this movie, which is his first directorial movie that he was doing this already. Like because, because it, it, it does relate so much to uh flag day for me in a lot of, you know, how every character really, even we were just talking about Benicio del Toro, everybody is alive and like, um, energetically, uh, giving something, all these small characters. I mean, the bearded lady, the weird lady in, in pink that, that is that weird scene. That's very Cassavetes like, you know, around the car Mm -hmm. that like everybody's alive and, and able to like give something, uh, in, in these small roles. And I, and I feel you like know, that, I, that he, he, he sorry, was letting that happen. No, no, no. I was just going to say, um, I interviewed, uh, this reminds me, I interviewed Abel Ferrara a couple weeks ago for this other podcast thing. Oh, wow. And one of the things I, we were interview, we were talking about King of New York and I asked him like, if he thinks that in so many words, if, you know, Frank was sincere in his, in his interest in taking over a hospital in the South Bronx, you know, uh-huh. um, or was it like a cynical ploy for power in the, in, in the city? Right. And he said, well, Chris played it sincerely. So I think it's sincere. Oh. And I was like, well, what was your intention? And he goes, it doesn't matter what my intention yes. was. Once it got to Chris, it's what he does. And I was like, so Brilliant. do you like you write the script and then you get to set, do you consider it? Like, do do you, do you direct the actors? Do you care if they're going by what your intention was? And he was like, no, once we get to set, it's theirs. And if they're not doing what I initially wanted the actor, to, the character to do, it's not the end of the world by me. <laughs> it's like, all right, man. <laughs> a very di- like for, for, for an industry or a medium where everybody wants to pretend there's some sort of master or visionary right. to be like, no, they do that. And like, if it, if it works out, it works out. And like, you know, and you it know, aligns, it aligns. and that's, and, and I, I loved hearing that, but I think that the thing that has to happen is that if you, if you let them change it, but you don't change the material a little bit, uh, to what they're doing, then you might get something that doesn't work. Like, I think that's the right. last piece. Like you can, if, if they're, if they're changing it, if they're making, then if they're making it sincere, you have to go and change some things perhaps you know, based on what they're giving. And then that's how it evolves. And that's like, literally you're directing it. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that's the part that people don't do so much in in movies. That's why some movies are just like, wait, something's off here, you know? Well, especially now because every director has the smallest amount of time possible to make whatever it is they're making. You know, even if you are Joel Cohen making the tragedy of Macbeth, I feel like you probably have like, the the least amount of time you've ever had to make a movie <laughs> except for blood yeah. simple you know like yeah. because there's just no you know there there's no fat in movies anymore yeah. there's no room for fat yeah it's terrible terrible so god bless sean penn whether i haven't seen flag day whether it's good or not for trying to make a movie where he could uh embrace the fat yes exactly and maybe and maybe that's a like a good thing like maybe people need to start like budgeting around time and let some things go like i'd rather to i'd rather have uh, filmmakers let some stuff go that adds some kind of production value in order to get time and and they can work with actors right i mean who wouldn't like do we really need like 
to be, to have all of this, you know, stuff happen in the scene that, <laughs> that requires a lot of money or, and, and have it suck. Cause they only could do two takes before they had to move on because the sun's going down. You know what I mean? Stuff like yeah. that bothers me. It's like, it doesn't feel like that with movies like this. Yet somehow Clint Eastwood pulls that off all the time. I think another thing that I loved about this movie when I was young and that I still love about a lot of pieces of art and at least the kind of art that I'm always attracted to. And I think even with this movie still is that I always like when something feels like it's going to break, you know, like it's just on the edge, the, 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 the movie, the scene, the song, it, it, just feels like it's 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 breaking something the seams are popping you know and somehow it's it's able to come back together there's this great quote that um i think carrie brownstein had about uh one of the slater kinney albums that they produced that had the guy that produced the soft bulletin produced it and he had told them he showed them like the first mix and like everything was popping and they were like what do you the fuck are you doing like it it sounds like everything's popping. And he's like, no, you want to do that. You want it to sound like it's slightly breaking because you want people to lean in and then you can pull them in and you can change it, dial it back, dial it back up. Mm. But that's how, that's how you do it. And I've always kind of felt that way about movies that I love, like even King of New York, right? It's this incredibly stylistic, um, like overly stylized for Abel Ferrara crime film, but 10 minutes into it, Christopher Walken looks directly into the camera. Like something <laughs> feels like the seams are popping there. Or even with Clint Eastwood, like we're just talking about, right? Where it's like, why am I so wrapped up in this movie? It looks like they threw a spotlight up on the actor's face. And there's like, you know, the, so the AC is walking behind in front of the light or something. What the fuck's going <laughs> on here? Yet there's something about that, that I can't take my eyes off of. And Vigo's performance is kind of like that in this movie. I don't think anybody else's, really is though which is kind of the mismatch some of the mismatching of the film yeah it's it, it's but i think it's just that's just the nature of the role though right who's gonna who's gonna be able to have an opportunity to pop like that in this but it's it, I, it's interesting to see who who penn is choosing at this time right i mean David Morse was on Saint Elsewhere, I think. I don't. Even, I don't know if Saint Elsewhere was still on at the time. You guys probably don't even know what Saint Elsewhere is. I have heard of it. <laughs> I know what Saint Elsewhere which, is, which was the show that when it came on, I knew I had to go to bed. You know, that's 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 okay. uh, that's all I knew about it. It was on at ten o'clock, right, when I was a child. But it's but it's but he's like a tel- a television guy. I mean, and I I don't know I. I, I'm trying to think of like what Sean Penn was back then. Did he have enough cachet as a film, as a potential filmmaker to get whoever he wanted? Probably. I right. I mean, a uh, lot of them were like personal favors or he's asking at just uh, the right level. Like apparently him and Dennis Hopper were good friends. So Dennis Hopper did it without even looking at a script. He just, was Oh, like, were they? Yes. That's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they all used to hang out all the time. Yeah, not to keep talking about this interview, but Roger Ebert's kind of like, huh, that seems kind of like kind of like your whole deal, huh? Like he's like a real crazy guy. And then he's like kind of became a director. And Sean Penn's like, interesting. Yeah, that's that's an interesting perspective. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, I mean, Hopper was uh, sober by this point, right? I mean, I don't know if he was a really an on again, off again um, uh addict but he was sober by the time he did blue velvet i thought and then stayed relatively sober for the rest yeah. of his life so and it's this not is like around he was... hoosier's time when he was uh, which was a great acting role for him hoosier's 
think was like 89 and he was nominated for an academy award i think for that as an yeah as he an, was also directing around this time too he had colors with sean penn that's right i believe oh my god uh, colors 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 <laughs> colors they don't die they just multiply that's 1988 so that's maybe that's where they became they became friends i don't know well wait so this is when um speaking of colors so in this ebert interview he's saying he's bringing up this thing like are these two characters just the two sides of sean penn and sean penn says uh it would be a little too simple to try to figure it out that way some of the things in the movie i was able to write them because of roles i had played for example when i did colors for dennis hopper i hung out with a lot of cops watched how they talked and moved and made their judgments so when i was writing the role of joe i didn't have to give that a lot of thought because i already knew how he might think which is just kind of like weirdly like rambling and not actually answering any of the questions. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I'm sure all of the LA, LA gang, like uh, gang focused cops were very similar to a Midwestern <laughs> sheriff in 1970. He's like, I had literally met a police officer one time. So yeah. I actually wrote this pretty easy. I did a ride along once with two white cops who terrorized, um, you know, a uh, low income neighborhood um looking for uh looking for gang members so i'm pretty sure i know how a cop in the so midwest why, in 1970 this behaves. is why Thanks, we open Roger. with this is why we open with joe killing a person of color because that's just the kind of cop stuff cops do and they love it and it's very normal does he is that guy hispanic i did you is he is he or is he not he's white passing. i didn't think so maybe I he's white he was, maybe he's a white person i don't know i thought he was white because his parents were white Oh, that yes. is true. I forgot about his parents. His parents are extremely <laughs> white. Yeah. Yes. I thought he was white because his parents are white. <laughs> That's like an actually an awful assumption that you would make, Ricky. That. <laughs> oh yeah, he could have been adopted. He could have been taken in. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. I, Maybe he's just know. chosen not to be white. But that scene right at the beginning where like he sees the family of the guy that he just killed and the father starts singing and has to get carried out of the precinct while he's singing to again, to me at this age, I'm like, I, I see what the direct Sean Penn, the director is doing there, who he's channeling, who I relate it to Sean Penn as the Sean Penn that I know now. But when I saw the movie for the first time, like I, I only knew Sean Penn from like, the thin red line. And I knew Sean Penn is like being pretty great. Like right. I didn't know, I didn't really know about the Madonna stuff. And if I did, I didn't really care about it because at, cause I loved at close range. I loved bad boys. I loved colors and um, state of grace. And the thin red line was my favorite movie. It might still be. And so to me, it was just kind of like, this is an expression of this great actor. And now I look at it as like, this is an expression of this great actor who's also kind of a hothead and narcissistic and wild. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> the movie does make a lot of excuses for Frank, right? Like, yes. It doesn't seem to really like come down on him too hard. And like, spoiler alert, like, okay, he abandons his family, but it's not like he dies tragically or goes to prison or whatever. That's right. He just drives off into the distance to lead exactly the life he wants to lead. So like, it doesn't really seem like he's being punished narratively. Right, after he's just murdered a man. Yeah, he murders Dennis Hopper for, I mean, because he feels, his whole breakdown at the end of the movie seems to be precipitated by his wife not having sex with him one time. Is that, am I correct in that? <laughs> <laughs> 
He's basically completely given up on being a wild boy. He's got a job where he's building a bridge. He's got his wife is pregnant. They're living in the, his dad's house. Everything's fine. And his, he's having dinner with his beautiful wife. He's being real sweet about the food that looks really gross. And the wife uh, is kind of sitting on his lap and talking about something, something. And he says to her, ah, I got some mosquito bites that need scratching. And she goes, oh, Frankie. And then goes to sit down and finish eat, eating dinner. And then he, his co- entire life falls apart immediately <laughs> because of this one thing. <laughs> he like he well, screams let's, let's, at her and knocks everything over, gets drunk, like beats people up and murders someone. Sc- yeah. He screams at her, knocks some stuff over. And then, well, no, before he even screams at her, he walks over. Her. Yeah. yeah. He puts frozen peas in his mouth and then yeah. starts spitting them all over her. And then he, feels kind of bad about it so he goes and gets wasted and beats the shit out of some guy but see these and are the things life... these are the things in the movie that where i see like a first time writer director because what's important is like the emotion that frank is having not like the logic of why we got there <laughs> do you know what i mean like he has not really bothered to stitch that together like kind of emotionally of course you understand it but it i would not say it is earned <laughs> in any way like this whole like end of the movie unraveling. I mean, I'm happy to hear if I'm wrong. In fact, I, yeah, I don't no, think you're, you're right. wrong, but I like that. Yeah, I was gonna say Sorry. I like it. I like it too. And and but and and but I think it's almost a cop out when they they just have uh, the dad say, "So where did he get this from?" <laughs> and like and like Joe's like, "I don't know." And he's like, "All right, I've I've done my job here. I I they don't know where it is, and that's all I have to say." Yeah, and I, right. you know. So I, I I almost get what you're saying. But I, I would rather that than them like placing in some kind of origin of right, that. Right, right. You know, and that's I, what they I, would do I, today, right? There would be some yeah. kind of elaborate like reason that he's this way, and yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm still, in... I mean, just as a movie viewer, I'm kind of like, this is what he's mad about. Like Jesus Christ, <laughs> you know, I brother, <laughs> I've been married for five years. This is what you're going to lose your shit over, <laughs> like. <laughs> The scene where uh, he pulls the shirt up of a woman that he lives in the building with, oh, yeah. right? Like his his uh, his his father so has weird. just just died, and David Morse calls uh, Vico Mortensen to tell him that you know there's been problems in the family, and a woman who lives in the building or the hotel, it's basically like a flop house, comes upstairs, knocks on the door to tell him the news. And he is downright evil to her. Yes. Yeah. Like truly evil to this woman who's doing a nice thing. But and I think, what can, if I can say, the she is introduced and shot in a way where you are supposed to think she's gross because she's fat. And then yes. I think that's what the movie, so it's like, okay, that he's doing it to her, you know? Exactly. And it's one of those moments where, I mean, look, characters can be ambiguous, and I, I almost like that this is this is a movie about an asshole. But in that moment, it, it feels like Sean Penn thinks what he's doing there is funny, too. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, this is where the uh, perverted Cassavetian influence comes in, I, f- I feel like. He's like, Cassavetes has weird, undescribable, uh, in terms of uh, motivation, moments like this in movies and some of them are even a little violent and um and they're weird and you don't understand like and it just goes on and um 
And I think, you know, Cassavetes, I think is an alien. He's like, he's my favorite, but he's from another planet. Like he, he's like, we will, we'll never fully understand him. But so when somebody's influenced by him, I feel like they have this stuff kind of, and, and he, he has it in this movie kind of sprinkled in everywhere with these characters. And I think this was one of those kind of moments where it's like, it's, it's, it, it is doing the job. Cause I think he's more, more, um, plot focused than Cassavetes would be in terms of like, we have to realize that this guy could, is, is potential for violence at any moment, but it's also weird. And he also says something to that guy. Remember? He's like, you like that? And the guy's smoking yeah. a cigarette right there. He's like, yeah, it's just weird. It's just, and then they laugh together. Yeah. I've always said, I, I, I've, or at least for a long time, I've said, don't be influenced by Cassavetes. Like, <laughs> yeah. And like, and almost, and honestly, like, don't be influenced by David Lynch. Like, oh, yes. they're, they're fucking with, yeah. anomalies. They're, they're yes. like, they can never be repeated. There's but like, think, unless like, you harmony, yourself I, are an anomaly. Yes. I think some harmony. Yeah, sure. Harmony Korean stuff, like, pretty well. I, 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 agree but harmony korean also is an anomaly yeah I was right gonna say, he's an alien oddity. too yeah. yeah he's he's exactly he's a total alien and the thing is he's probably seen a cassette like woman under the influence once and yeah. was like yes great yes. that was great i love that's a movie i love that movie and so when he's it. asked okay. like your, yeah. yeah when he's asked like your top 10 films he's like woman under the influence strassic you know it's not like he's sitting there like f- shot by shot trying to figure out right. like you know how to craft these scenes. Whereas I feel like there's been, especially during the mumblecore years, <laughs> there were so many filmmakers who were like Cassavetes inspired. And it's like, just don't do it. Like yes. you're not going to get there. He was an anomaly. You could, you, 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 you can't really touch Mike Lee, but you could beat for beat. You could study him. That's a good, right? that's a good thing. Yeah. And you could also be influenced by Mike Lee and it will do you good. You know, yes. I, I think is what you're trying to say, right? I mean, I think that that yes. is probably That's exactly right. what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you're influenced by Cassavetes, it's not going to do you good, <laughs> right? You should just be influenced by the spirit of Cassavetes, yeah, not no, by I the want. like, act, ex- not by the content. I just want a medium shot of two people in their late fifties arguing, like, and I want it to go on a really long time. You know, <laughs> is that Cassavetes or Mike Lee? <laughs> like Cassavetes that's my that's what that's my impression of a bad impression of Cassavetes yeah or it's like being sometimes I even say that with uh with the Coen brothers um but that's honestly because they're they're too good at what they do so it's like like they're too good at the craft that it's like just yeah. you're just gonna hurt yourself trying. You're gonna yes. end up like directing yes. commercials immediately because it's just too yes. structured, you know? Yeah. yeah. You're gonna end up directing an episode of, of billions if you're lucky. But you know, uh, uh, just a, a couple scenes in this though, that when you look at them and you think, wow, this, like, th- I guess that scene was one of them where he pulls up the shirt, but I'm talking about just like the way it's staged like, like the wedding scene where they're, where they're, where they're um, swimming out to this, to this thing. It's, it's, it's so interesting and it's not, it's not necessary. And it's completely Uh, unexplained. And it's unexplained. And I, I, I love that. And the other one was, um, it's just a small thing, but like the way that he, he, he asks his wife, if Frank can come over, I think, 
Um, and but but the but the cop kind of gets tricked into watching the kid. It's so elaborate and so weird and so real, but it's it's unnecessary if if you just like wrote it out. You'd be like, why why are you, why are you doing this? But for some reason, when you're watching it, it's interesting. Like this is, I feel like, uh, some of the good things about the movie and the good things about him as a director, like the way that scene is staged. Which, which, if you don't, I, maybe if you don't make movies, you're not really noticing that stuff. But sometimes, but sometimes I'm like, when I see something just staged in a really boring way, I'm, I, I'm like, wow, why couldn't they just do this in a more interesting way but then there's the opposite of that when stuff is a little too elaborate and a little too like uh, full of itself in a, in a way and trying to be cute or something then that's also a problem for me but a lot of these scenes i'm like i was really impressed just with the way they seem organic and the way they seem a little weird and they're not advancing the story necessarily yeah yeah you know? well i mean the bearded well, lady scene that we mentioned before yeah. what is that why is that in the movie and then it's at some well at that's that brought scene, up there's an overhead shot where Rosanna Ar- or Patricia Arquette, who we haven't even mentioned yet, who's great in the movie, is just dancing on the hood of a car for some reason also. Yeah. The bearded lady scene. Well, one, R- Patricia Arquette, um, from the years of like 1988, I think, to like 1999, um, it's like basically between Prayer for the Roller Boys and like Little Nicky. As soon as she pe- appears on screen in any movie, I'm like, good Lord. Oh, my God. She's just yeah. like the most beautiful person alive at that period of time. Um, yes. And uh, but that scene with the bearded lady, uh, I was wondering while I was watching, like, what is this scene for? Why? Like, I, I kind of like that it appears out of nowhere and it seems to have very little to do with anything. And it's one of those kind of like uh, they run into like a carnival and she sees a, sees a bearded lady. It feels very heavily borrowed from like, again, a Bukowski or someone, or like a Herzog, like someone, you know, adding a a dose of um, the surreal into a scene. But then in the scene where he's spitting peas at her, he says, you'll talk to strangers or you love strangers, but you don't love me or you trust Mm. strangers, but you don't trust me. And I was like, Oh, so that's why that scene was there. Cause she'll, I guess it was an example of her being able to talk to anybody, but not be able to trust him to, to, to talk to him, Mm. which is, you know, doesn't really matter because it still feels like sort of unearned in both instances, (laughs) but (laughs) enough that I didn't remember it. it. Yeah. I mean, but you know, just quickly to say about Patricia Arquette's giving an amazing performance. I did not to be like Mr. Tabloid, but I did find myself wondering if this is like, madonna and if the parts of this are madonna Whoa. it's very similar to kind of melanie griffith and something wild but she's also got this kind of like child who wants to fuck thing going on where she's constantly like surprised right. and delighted by things and like screaming all the time screaming it, it seems very childlike but then also is like sexy and of course it has right. like short platinum blonde hair and i mean i don't know i did find yeah. myself wondering. I'm sure we would have at the time that would have been a real, really more, um, um, more of a flag. That's interesting. Yeah. But she gives a really, I mean, I thought her performance was good. I, what, what did you guys think? Yeah. I thought, she was great. I thought she's great. She was, she was great. She still is great. I thought I, she has given delivered so many amazing performances. I'm glad that she has an Oscar well-deserved. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, 
and like uh what was the last big thing that she really did escape at Danamora. she was amazing oh, in that. oh she was she amazing was in, that. just yeah. incredible um but yeah i i thought she was great and i liked i i liked the character i wish there was more of uh, of her but i think there's probably as much as there could be what did you guys think of the um you know um up close and personal shot of the baby oh, being God. delivered you Crazy. know, I was at I was at a situation like that, and I didn't want to look at it too much. And you mean the delivery of your child? The delivery of my child, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, and I got similar vibes from watching it in this movie. It was very realistic looking, like extremely. And it's grossed me out, and I hated it, and I was mad, and I didn't want to look at it. But that's like good <laughs> filmmaking, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> It kept cutting back to it. It made me think like, all right, all right, we're supposed to think that this is a birth. Like, you know, whatever's whatever's <laughs> on the other side of this shot, like the other right. the other B-roll, whatever. It's like, well, wait, why? I, I, I didn't understand like what he's trying to say there, but he's like, he's obviously trying to say something if, if he's even putting in like an actual birth. Because it's cross cut with Frank and Joe's big fight, right? Or it, yes. Right. Yeah. And it's just far birth? too long. <laughs> it, goes this... on. it does go on for like 20 minutes or something. Like they it's... just keep cutting back to the birth. <laughs> yeah. But I guess like what is really being trying to deliver he... something to you. And then the, well, the... I mean, well, it makes sense though. Like a, it takes a long time to deliver a baby. So I get that. Like, yeah, you know, sure. but like, it's just the idea itself. It's like, I get it. I get it. Like we don't need to keep cutting back to her screaming during this. And then to her like not adding up on it. her vagina and a baby coming out of it. And there's blood everywhere. That was necessary. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then immediately when the movie's over, there's a, a card on the screen that is like every new baby born is proof. God hasn't given up on humanity. And oh I'm like, is that God, the message of this God. movie? Is that the message? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yes. I have to see the whole thing again now. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Is that what the yeah, movie was about? That... I mean, I didn't think so. Wait, but... wait, wait. But now, now you said that. Like, like he basically, Joe basically let Frank go. You know, he knew yes. he knew he murdered yeah. a guy. He let him go, and then he and abandoned. Like, he was abandoned his family and his child, and yeah, yeah. And it's like, um, yeah, God still thinks the wor- earth is. I mean, the the world is is worth it. So uh, this guy can go. Um, even though he killed somebody. And it's it's like loving in some way that he does that. I mean, it, it's supposed to be like kind of like, it's like the purest love because you know, you're like acknowledging his nature and that he's never going to change, but you still love him, even if it means you're never right. going to see him again. Oh, you know? That quote, that quote, the, the, some of the performance style, the way that he uses, and we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast, which is this amateur element to it. I would go beyond that and say it almost feels like film schooly in a way, which it I guess you could say sure. is amateurish. But like the the quote at the end, the the way that he uses these songs from the era, yes. and then even just the scene, and it's so subtle. Even the scene where Joe comes home for the first time after he has shot the guy, and Valeria Golina like pours him a glass of whiskey. And there's something so about it to me that feels like me at like 20 yeah. thinking that's what a, that's what like badass adults did. Well, yes, exactly. You know, like, I think so much of it has that Sit vibe. down and have a glass of whiskey. And then they do this thing whenever they see each other where he, she goes, man. And he goes, woman. It's like, that's like <laughs> something so bad. It's like, I can see me at like 23 being like, yeah, he comes home. And she's like, man. And he's like, 
woman because that's who they are. They're man, they're woman, <laughs> they're primal, they're primal. They fuck, they love, they drink whiskey, they 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 con they congregate together, they commune. Man, woman, and and he just can't fit in. But a baby will be born. Oh, that's like that quote I read yesterday. I'll put that in the movie. <laughs> you're you're really gonna hate Flag Day. <laughs> I mean, I'm probably what you're in a way, I'll probably love it. Is is so like the film school thing is he's still got this film school thing, which is part of the reason why I love Flag Day, but it feels like a like a, again, like a child making a movie. Like the narration is so like, oh my God, bro, we, 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 we evolved past this as a, as a society, as a, as a filmmaking society, <laughs> we've evolved. Cinematically, we're all, we're yeah. all more adult than this now. And yeah. that's why. In, in the, in the Times piece, it says flirting constantly with the dangers of pure self-indulgence. <laughs> Oh, but again, like I feel like I feel like I misrepresented the the film schoolish nature of it when I was doing a, a comic impression, and um, I comic is generous of me to say. But when I was doing an impression of it, and it, it's I like that. I, yes, I like yes. flirting with self indulgence, and that's one of the things again that I loved so much about it when I was younger. Because when I saw something self indulgent, to me as a young person, that represented voice, that yes. represented like an individualistic, an individual yes. vision, which to me was the highest form of art. And right. so, you know, now I have a different feeling about that. But then, it, you know, flirting with self indulgence to me was like. You know, that's how you stood above the rest. Why else make a movie? Back. Why else make a yes. movie if you're not going to flirt with self-indulgence? Yeah. That's the whole point, you know? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's um, why, that's why Flag Day is so, um, was so amazing. Despised? Because it really was. <laughs> but the reason why it was amazing to me is because it's almost like, it's, it's almost like I'm, I'm sick of people not taking chances uh, uh, right now. You know what I mean? Like trying, trying to, trying to f uh, uh, skirt this line, both aesthetically and every, and, and, and in every other way, content wise and everything. And, uh, and he, and he loves the close up even more than he does in this film, in the Indian runner, in, in, in flag day. And you don't see close ups like this anymore. This, this hardcore close ups, like, and, and cause people are just afraid, like, Oh, that's too close. You can't you can't get that close <laughs> on an actor, you know? In 4D, and, and, what are you? That, <laughs> 4K, sorry. And that and that um that is basically that goes for every aspect of of the movie, and it's 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 almost like he hasn't he hasn't grown in that way, and 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 in that way, I'm thinking like, good on you, man. I mean, that's great Be, for me, uh, but I can at the same time. I can I can be like wow narration oh my god and the way it is so so cheesy the over overwrought um, metaphors same thing I mean like and I so I when people don't like either one of these movies I'm like I understand you I understand but I also relish these this kind of expression you know and, and it's just like what you're saying it's like. You can have both at the same time. You can think both things. Uh, Ricky, um, do you want to do these questions? Yeah. So, uh, Peter, at the end of uh, every podcast, we ask three questions. Um, once again, I booked you, so you have not received these questions oh, in advance. If Chris had booked you, he would have sent you the questions. I am uh, very bad at, at, at my job. But um, the first question that we ask is very simple. What was your favorite part of the movie? 
I think the uh, final um, um, Dennis Hopper laughing moment when... Um, so this is before uh, Joe leaves. Uh, before he cuts his 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 uh, palm, Joe uh, uh, Dennis Hopper laughing uh, at what Joe's saying. It haunts it haunts me still. I I don't understand. Like it's 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 just a weird moment. I don't know. That was that. Oh, when that, he's taunting I'm, him. Yeah. Well, no, he's talking. Joe's talking to Frank at the bar, but yeah. Dennis Hopper is laughing at everything that he's saying to Frank. Yeah, he's Dennis Hopper's taunting. Oh, taunting him. Yes, Joe. yes. Dennis and then, Hopper's taunting. Yes. And then Joe Joe comes like gets up and Dennis Hopper like runs away <laughs> yeah. to the other room. It's it's kind of great. He like Joe gets up like he's pissed off and he's gonna fuck something up and Dennis Hopper's like I'm out <laughs> and like runs away because he's scared of getting. Oh, he, no, he says he says you guys watch the bar. I gotta go and and on the on the captain's chair. It's weird. Like like there's something really weird there that he was doing there and it, and it made me feel yeah but like what is this does he mean the toilet what, what the hell does that even mean you have to assume i don't know if it's I mean, not the guys, toilet that brings up so many possibilities <laughs> you, <laughs> you guys you guys watch the bar i have to escape from this scene so this scene can take place without my presence exactly but it's but that is just like in any other movie, maybe it would just be a normal, like, Hey, I got to go like expositional kind of dialogue, but he made it something weird. That's what Cassavetes does. You know, I, mm -hmm. I feel like the same, same thing. It harkened back to that. I want, I rewound that part. I was just like, this is weird. I love that. I <laughs> um, my favorite part we've already talked about, but I'll just say it one more time. I hadn't even figured out about Santa Claus yet. Dragons. <laughs> It's my favorite part of the movie. Amazing just, stuff. I mean, oh wait, and then also amazing. followed followed by followed by gasoline was my favorite smell. <laughs> That's it. As a child, he oh, gasoline also, was his and, favorite smell. I don't. You know, gasoline was my to... favorite smell as a child, and I remember yeah, telling cool. someone that cool. where you had to write down like favorite smell in some kind of survey. And when I was a kid, I was like, oh, gas. I swear. I mean, I was a child. I think that's what he's trying to say. I mean, that's not that weird. Mine was, I loved the smell of cow shit when we drove by farms. I would roll down the window and stick my head out of it. I just loved it. Oh you're a kid. You have no idea that you're not supposed to think something smells good. And you're just like, I love this. Your parents were probably like, please, no, roll up the window. Stop. It's interesting um, that both my, those things could be made into uh, fuel, right? That's true. That's true. I love we we Peter. We love fuel. We love fuel. The human animal give me fuel, give me, give me fuel. Give me fire. Give me that which I desire. Come on now. Yeah, beautiful. Um, thank you so much. I, I'm, I'm filled with Metallica lines. I would love to go see Metallica. Can I just say, if you ever, if, if there's ever a chance we can go see Metallica together, we should do it. I'm just saying because I have seen Metallica. It fucking sucked. No way, really. That's so sad. I saw Metallica in San Francisco at the Outlands Festival. They were one of the headliners and they sounded like shit. Lars oh. sounded like 
he needs somebody else backstage playing drums for him these days. See, because obviously they have this kind of like mall manager dedication to being in Metallica, but I was mm-hmm. hoping that meant that they like felt like it was <laughs> mall their- manager dedication. <laughs> it's true though. That is true. <laughs> Oh, I was hoping I'm not going to not show up to work. I got I got to go to work. I work at I work at Metallica. And all these people are here to Metallica and I'm Metallica. <laughs> but you hope You understand if I who's going to keep James in line if I don't show up? Uh, I got to go, honey. I got to be on stage in Sao Paulo in 6 hours. I got to I got to go. <laughs> Um, I just want to say my, my other, we haven't talked about this enough. So I'll say it's my other favorite part of the movie and that's Charles Bronson. I love Charles Bronson in this movie. It's perfect casting. And even when it seems like he's maybe reading his lines from the side of the camera, he (laughs) is still felt that way. I never felt that way. He's still perfect though. Like he still feels perfect in the movie. He feels like this kind of dad, like a hundred percent. But it's a testament to just sort of how charismatic his persona, how perfect his persona is, right? Because I've during the pandemic, I went through a bit of a Bronson phase and watched a lot of the um, canon films, Mm. Bronson movies, and as well as some of the stuff from the 60s and 70s. And he's always doing a variation on the same thing or just the same thing, but he is compelling. He's just utterly Mm. compelling, even in just total shit. He is he he he's fun to watch, and even when it seems like he's not trying at all, I can't take my eyes off of him. I think mm. he's and he's perfectly cast in this. Yes. Yeah. No, he's great. Yeah. Um, it's What's I your favorite part, Chris? Time, oh, hey, brother. My favorite part. This is pretty stupid, as my favorite parts often are. But like, um, there's a scene where we're trying to just show that Viggo Mortensen is a big badass, and he's. But it's, oh, it's when he's going to pick up his car after his car has been taken by the police for some reason, right? And so he pumps up the tires of a bike, gets on his bike, and then there's just a long sequence of him riding his bike through various situations. And then he's, like, smoking a cigarette, wearing sunglasses, looking like a total badass. And it's just a very weird sequence, like many other sequences in the movie, like, is this really need to be here? But yes. except that Vigo Mortensen looks like a goddamn million dollars. He looks yeah. cool as shit riding this weird old bicycle. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. I love all of the, um, the montages, um, like every song that they choose. And even the band song that plays over the closing credits. I love all of those sequences. Um, they're pretty basic, but there's something really great about those songs. Yeah. And especially the, um, the Janis Joplin one that's the cover, the cover of the Leonard Bernstein or oh, whoever yeah. summertime. Right. Yeah, summertime. Um, I love that. I love that sequence. Um, so the second question we ask Peter, and this is where it's going to get a little harder and why okay. I should have okay. sent you these questions. Oh, but um, you know, the first one is we started this podcast last year because we were bored in the, during the pandemic and um, then the pandemic never ended and we stayed bored. Yeah. So we kept doing it. Yeah. But um Uh, but it's called 30 years later so because we started it at the beginning of the 90s every movie we're going to talk about until the podcast ends is most likely going to take place in the 90s so what was the most 90s thing about this movie for you oh wow i would say the 
it's so weird though because if I hadn't seen Flag Day, I would I would say a bunch of things uh, that are so '90s. But Flag Day feels like it has those in it. So, but I'm still I mean the narration just feels '90s, I guess. Uh, and but there's not much else that that feels maybe because it's 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 um set in the 60s and yeah and it it doesn't have any it doesn't have a lot of those cheesy things that i thought it would have i mean there's a lot of cheesy stuff that but it doesn't feel like it's <clears throat> it doesn't feel like it's 90s cheese i mean it's so self-consciously slavishly being like a movie from the 70s that Yes. hardly any of it is is 90s except that kind of that idea which was i think <clears throat> big in some independent film in the 90s that the 70s are this perfect era of film you know and that the best you could aspire to is, is those films and those directors yeah i feel like the most 90s thing is um david morse like i know he had a career <laughs> yeah. after the 90s but the 90s even though he was on a tv show in the 80s the 90s to me really feels like his decade yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, and also because nothing else in the movie feels very 90s ish. Yeah, my yeah. one is not great either, but it's just like, I think this is, happens in a lot of a certain level of 90s movie is like Dennis Hopper in a small part delivering a kind of vaguely creepy non sequitur <laughs> monologue. <laughs> like, that happens in a lot of 90s movies, and it definitely happens in this movie. <laughs> you're just yes. all of a sudden, you're like, oh, wait, Dennis Hopper's the bartender. <laughs> like, you're like two thirds of the way through the movie, and you're like, what? Yeah, what year was Jesus's son? That's a that's a that's a, a, a oh. fantastic Dennis Hopper monologue. Yeah, that's um, late, late I think 90s. that was like 98 or 99. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the last question that we ask is, um, uh, it's been 30 years since this movie came out. Um, culture has changed a lot since then. Uh, what do you think we've grown out of as a culture, uh, that this movie portrays or, or does? So, so, so much, but, but I mean, we can, we we can all agree. No, go ahead. Uh, just one line was so like, oh my God. But again, it's of the time. Like that's why I hate when people like look back on movies and they and they judge it uh with with our current glasses on. I mean, the come on. That's that that bothers me so much. But when when uh the dad, Charles Bronson, says, um, you know, when you married a Mexican, um, I just thought, ah, what is he doing? But you know what? She's beautiful. <laughs> it's like wait you yeah. evolved and you yeah. realize now that she's beautiful so like th- these were cringe <laughs> moments that were just <laughs> but that's a pretty honest yeah. line though i Absolutely. my question is like i don't oh know if God. the movie or the filmmaker but know that, that, why it's honest exactly that's what i'm yeah. that that's but but i want to believe that he put it in there as a because that character would say that not because um you know it's a general thing that i don't know what i'm even saying like, but, not but, because yeah. sean penn thinks that but because right i think you know whether he thinks it or not i don't know if he thinks that it's necessarily uh like a, a disparaging thing to say right you know right yeah right um yeah that's a good that's a good pick that's a good line 
Uh, what Chris? about for you? Oh yeah, sure. For me, I mean, I don't know. This is just a dumb one, but it's, I, I think there's like a, there's a certain way that this movie interacts with the idea of violence that I think is not common anymore. I think that violence, it, this kind yes. of real violence, you can't have characters do it anymore. And if they do it, they have to be punished narratively, very specifically and severely. But this movie is kind of just yes. posits this kind of soupy, violent, um, you know, perilous universe where the characters are always kind of about to beat each other to death. Even the men, even slash especially the men to the women, right? And I don't, I don't think that that you're going to see that anymore. Yes, that's so true. Yeah, I mean, we've already talked about how um, the thing about uh, why Vigo, when Vigo Mortensen goes to jail and they're like, oh, he hit his girlfriend, tee hee hee. But I do, on a very broadly, I, I don't think you could make a movie, and this sort of coincides with what you're saying, Chris, with a main character like this, where the movie wasn't itself moralizing. Right. all the time and uh, wasn't punishing him. And you could argue that the movie does and the movie does moralize through David Morse, but it also, the point of it is that it doesn't and that it's it's sort of non-judgmental of, of Frankie, which is what makes it a watchable movie. Because imagine if this movie was judgmental, it would be a totally unwatchable. Yeah, um, right. yeah. What makes it interesting and compelling is that, you know, the movie itself doesn't have a very clear judgment on, on, on Frankie, but I don't think you could really anybody would get seven million dollars to do that. Well, because the right? movie basically, like, I mean, if Frankie's right about a lot of this stuff, right? And I mean, the David Morse character is like your totally, you know, like cipher suburban dad. I mean, he's like a cop, right? I mean, when Frankie yells at him, "Why aren't you afraid?" It's like, yeah, you fucking motherfucker, why aren't you afraid? Or to go one further, I don't think Bruce Springsteen would let his name be used for a movie this this um ambiguous and violent like today you um, mean today oh, yeah. yeah no i don't think so today. i mean back then I don't it was think... just about him and sean penn and you know it was basically like sean penn wrote the script and showed it to him and bruce was right like, yeah okay okay that's yeah okay go ahead right he was like dating bruce springsteen's sister or something like that sister-in-law oh is that true um, yeah, it was something like that, or he was friends with her, and he told Bruce Springsteen like years before that he was going to make a movie of this song, and Bruce Springsteen was like, okay, man, if you say so, and then uh, <laughs> like years later, Sean Penn made the movie and then showed it to him and asked him if he could like put the name of the song on it or something, and Bruce Springsteen said yes, but you know, post-Ghost of Tom Joad, just, Springsteen just doesn't have the uh he's just too much of a brand and i hate to put him down because i i love bruce springsteen but he's just too much of a brand to risk uh risk it on a movie this complicated and 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 messy and and you know yeah available for criticism yeah he just kind of wants to keep himself out of any awkward situations and keep making money and you know just smile at the camera and you know yeah right yeah now it's like spider-man you know, away uh, away from tomorrow with a song by Bruce Springsteen or something. You know, or if if uh, at, do a at, Pixar at movie, why best. hasn't he done a Pixar movie? Just, right. At Bruce best, it's like a it's like a Pixar movie or it's like a a Showtime series about Obama. 
you know, where they got a new Springsteen song. Basically, the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Did you have one, Ricky? Have Have you done yours yet? Oh, you just did. That was. I just did a bunch. I just did a bunch of them, dog. I blew you out of the water. You did fucking one. I did like six. Oh my god, you made me look like a total fool, and I'll hate you forever for it. All of our listeners, all of our listeners are going to be tweeting and instagramming you and just like oh Ricky did it really you it took you that long to get through instagramming were you thinking of some other kind of insta-ing is that i i was thinking of insta-ing, insta-ing. and then i and then in the midst of saying insta-ing it didn't sound right and i had to say gramming so it was like you. instagramming Sounds like everybody that. will be instagramming you that was something you said <laughs> hitting, hitting you on the gram everybody will be instagramming you all day and you're gonna hate it hey man i'm i'm shoot i'm trying to get old i'm yeah, trying to be i old mean it's days. great let me tell you what it rules peter thank you so much for being here and talking to us about uh sean penn's uh 1991 film the the indian runner my absolute uh, pleasure uh, where can people find your work peter uh well the podcast is called Back to One. It's on filmmakermagazine.com uh, and, and wherever you get your podcasts. That's my uh, that's my baby right now. I'm really trying to get that, uh, keep that flying. And I've listened to it on a number of occasions. It's great. They're really phenomenal interviews with uh, some of the best actors working. And, and Peter, you have a great rapport with them and they clearly love coming and talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye.